I'm Neil Acharya. And I am Nate Sager. Welcome to Sports Lit. Growing up as a Maple Leaf fan starting around the mid-80s, I didn't really have an understanding of who contributed to their glory years. Who were the players that made them revered? The reason why I didn't know is twofold. Firstly, I was young, about six, when I started tuning into Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights. So I didn't really have much of a concept of what came before me in any regard, hockey or life. Secondly, as I would find out later as a new decade began, it was Harold Ballard, the cantankerous longtime owner that had feuded with prominent alumni like Dave Keon, Daryl Sittler, and Ted Kennedy, and essentially alienated a large group of them. So growing up in Kingston, prior to the hyper sports media coverage that uh, built up in earnest around the early 90s, I really had no clue who Eddie Shack was. I might have heard his name. I might have had a vague idea of this flamboyant man who was uh, very popular, but I really didn't know who he was. So if you don't know who he is out there listening, I'll tell you. Let's start with On the Ice. He won the Stanley Cup four times with the Maple Leafs in the 1960s, making him a living link to their last championship in 1967. He played over 1,000 games and recorded over 1,000 penalty minutes from 1958 to 1975, where he played for six NHL teams. For five of those teams, he had 20-plus goal seasons, um, which is uh, definitely a, a notable feat. Uh, Nate, we might get into that a little later. Um, so how, okay, first of all, how did Eddie become the entertainer? It seems uh, to have started because he was having a ton of fun mixing it up during his career. He had a rough-and-tumble style, yet he was lovable uh, with a persona that endeared him to fans. And that going along with having no filter and a keen business sense, and a legend is born. So much so that he had a song bearing his name that topped the Canadian charts in the 60s. How many NHL players are known, for, are known for doing pirouettes after being named one of the game's three stars and also can be associated with a vicious stick-swinging incident with Larry Zeidel or sk- outskating while outmanned against the terrifying Plager brothers? What I like about players from his generation is that if they had any longevity, you can see the cataclysmic cultural change occurring globally through the change in their appearance. Shaq began his NHL career as a kid from Sudbury with a brush cut, And as the 60s progressed and into the 70s, his hair became longer. And in the me decade, the 70s, his locks were just flowing. He had, by that time, he had a handlebar mustache that we see today. Um, And the the me generation, sorry, the me decade, the 70s, was a perfect time for the entertainer to retire and blossom into the businessman that uh, he is. Uh, Though illiterate, he proved savvy in business, selling soft drinks, Christmas trees, and owning a golf course that he later sold for $15 million. He's now 82, and if you read the book we're about to introduce, uh, it appears as though he never made a bad business deal. I'm not so sure about that, but um, he's certainly done well for himself. And um, I found the book very intriguing, uh, the book that I'm going to introduce, because I hadn't read Ross Bruitt's Clear the Track, Eddie Shack. Uh, biography that came out in the 90s so there was a lot of information I had no idea about the book I'm going to introduce written with Ken Reed uh, right now is Eddie Shack hockey's most entertaining stories it's part it's a production truly it's a part coffee table book and part biography told through anecdotes and um, the production is is it's 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 put out by Frameworth Publishing Inc. It's a collection house uh, a memorabilia house so it's really a product more than a story there's Cool asides, uh, the you know it's a, the big pictures, um, post-it notes with his wife kind of rolling her eyes and and putting her two cents into his stories. Ken writing some context. Ken Reed, of course, who will be our guest. He was uh, chosen, or somehow we'll find out how. Ended up um, <laughs> being the guy to to get this book out, to write this book, or really get Eddie's words out as uh, as only Eddie can say. And um, Ken, of course, has four books, all hockey-related, under his belt, including uh, bestsellers, The Hockey Card Stories 1 and 2. And he makes it a hat trick with his third visit here on Sports Lit. Um, Ken, Ken, of course, would add marketability to this book and experience, and he's known nationwide as the main anchor on sports, or one of the main anchors on Sportsnet Central. And, um, well, he's graciously uh, agreed to join us again today. And before we talk to him... Nate, fire away. Yeah, verily, while reading this, the thought really occurred that Eddie Shack was an early adopter. Now, I don't know when the term personal brand entered our lexicon. Like, 
some people say the 80s was really the decade that kind of created the the modern athlete who's you know thinking of their instagram story while they're dropping a triple double but you know he came up in an era when nhl players still worked like you know regular jobs in the off season but he took that further by he was you know always had had the side hustle going he was, he was ahead of his time really uh i guess among athletes maybe even entertainers in general in realizing that success was going to become about how your personality played on the market but would that hockey shtick have worked if he hadn't also been a pretty fair NHL player who also had the charisma and ability to make everyone around him feel like they matter, especially in an NHL dressing room where, you know, you've got like healthy egoed aggro young, young men in, in close quarters and little jealousies can become, become big problems. It doesn't sound like he ever, I mean, he sometimes ruffled management, I'm sure, as a, a lot of players did in that era because teams had absolute control or wanted to have absolute control over their over their players lives but he was able to you know make his own own way that's kind of the gloss but when you read through this through the 2019 lens it really shed some light on his era like back then you you know you wanted to make it in hockey you and your family were really on your own yeah you know you pretty much had to forgo a, a formal education instead of now where it's like okay i'll play in the ohl if it doesn't work out and i i've got this scholarship package and i can go you know play in the oua uh, hockey players didn't really have any rights in the workplace they were a long way away from getting their fair share of the economic rents they produced in fact after eddie's career he and his spouse norma shack they had to lead the help lead the fight against the nhl so the players could get an appropriate pension for their contributions to growing the game and making the NHL the top spectator sport in Canada and a tier one league in North America. So I like having those stories in mind about, you know, guys who came through the the school of hard knocks, you know, old HNU, hard knocks university, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, especially at a time right now when, you know, you know, working people are kind of under threat to keep the underpinnings that, you know, are holding our society together. But I digress. Eddie Shack has, you know, a lot of stories. Warmly told with the help, as you mentioned, our first inductee into the three-timers club. Take that, Dan Robson. He's our Don Rickles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's here, in, he's here no matter what. No, no. Ken Reed, <laughs> the uh, pride of uh, Pick 2 County. So uh, he and Eddie definitely have our gratitude. Absolutely. So coming up, Ken Reed to talk about Eddie Shack, hockey's most entertaining stories. Ken, thanks for joining myself and Nate. Pleasure. Um, It's your third time on the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for continually having me. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go hard hitting right Mm -hmm. off the top. Mm -hmm. We are going to hammer a puck in deep and get you to chase after it. Yes. How did you come to partner with Frameworth Publishing Inc. to do this book? Well, I know Brian Aaronworth. He runs Frameworth, and um, I knew him for a few years now. And he just called me out of the blue, I want to say late January, early February, and said, hey, I know you do some writing. Would you like to write a book with Eddie Shack?" I said, well, yeah, it's Eddie Shack. Of course I would. But I'm working on something else right now. How about we get together when I'm done with that and we can plan it out for a couple of years from now or whenever you want it done? He said, no, 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 no. I want it done by fall 2019. I said, and, and this was when? This is... February 2019. I said, oh, wow. I don't think that that's not how it works, Brian. He's like, well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a traditional publisher. This is my first foray into it, so I'd like to do it this way. So I said, okay, let me let me straighten out this book I'm working on right now, and I'll call you back in April. We'll get that together in April. So when the playoffs started, during the days, I basically would go and meet with Eddie, and at night I would do my gig on Sportsnet Central. So I was burning it at both ends, and I mean, you sit down with Eddie Shack, and you immediately like the guy because he's hilarious. He's it's like, it's like sitting down with like ACDC. They just keep playing hits, and you just <laughs> love it. So you're laughing the whole time. Right. So we did the book. So Brian again said we want to do this really quickly. So my initial thought was I'll have the traditional kind of sixty to eighty thousand word hockey book, but Eddie's stories are short and to the point, uh, and he loves pictures because he's illiterate. Right. So pictures were very important to Eddie, so we settled on this coffee table book. Brian at Frameworth had done some books before for U2 and for Madonna for their VIP access tours and stuff like that. So he had a designer, Richard McCorkle, who's freaking awesome. So I handed in the initial manuscript around June 15th, which is insane, 
and uh, by July 25th, we had her hammered out, and the designing began, and we got copies around October 14th. It, it really is a production. And yeah, so it is. I guess, firstly, to people out there that don't know who Frameworth is, mm-hmm. just tell us who Frameworth is. So Frameworth is a sports company that's called Frameworth Sports Marketing, and basically, if you have a man cave, chances are you might have a framed <laughs> item from Frameworth. They're the exclusive autograph distributor of, uh, you know, uh, City Crosby, uh, Jonathan Taves they have they have a lot of players uh, they do signings at the store um, frame jerseys things like that um, they got some really impressive stuff and Brian's a businessman and for a businessman to take hold of your book is awesome because he runs it like a business so uh, we did this quickly and we did it against the grain not like how I've done any of my other books and not like how I know a lot of books are done and it was uh, it was very efficient. It was very quick, and I really really like the end product because it's the kind of book you can read cover to cover, or you can set it down and go from one page to the next. And it's got everything. There's I think around 250 photos, and probably about 100 100 150 of them are never before seen because they came from Eddie and his wife Norma's personal collection. So it's it's very nice that way. And like I said, the pictures were so important to Eddie. Yeah, and now what was the process like of curating uh, which photos from Ed and Norma Shack's yeah. uh, collection were going to be used? That was the that was the easy part for me was I didn't really have to do it. I just did the writing. So Richard collect, <laughs> Richard collected all the photos. And also Brian at Frameworth Sports has a, a license to thousands and thousands of NHL photos because he runs Frameworth. Combine that with Eddie. So Richard selected the photos, who's the designer, and Norma and Eddie helped. Um, I, of course, had a look at it, right, before I went to print, said, can you get a photo of this here? Um, can you get a photo of this here or remove this photo or this would go great here? So I played a small part in it, but this was all most of the work of Richard, and it's it's literally a piece of art. Like, it's not just a, not just a book. It's kind of like uh, it's the most artsy thing I've ever been involved with. I'll put it that way. Now, what sense did you get of Eddie's desire to publish a second book? Because he did put, yeah. put out a, an autobiography with Ross Brewitt in the mid-1990s. I might have remembered getting it for Christmas. Yeah, well, Eddie was, Eddie was interviewed for that book. I wouldn't call it an autobiography, though, okay, because yeah, it wasn't like me. by Eddie Shack. But like he was extensively interviewed for it. Norm was extensively interviewed for it. But yeah, Eddie wanted to do this because, like Eddie says, like that was 20 years ago and he these are more like just kind of the funny hard-hitting punchy stories it wasn't the chronological story of eddie shack um and clear the track was a great book um this is a little different um this is more what eddie wanted i think it, I, I, i'm not positive about that but he loves the pictures and he's really enjoyed being back in the spotlight because eddie likes the spotlight eddie's like me he likes to talk <laughs> He's a pretty easy guy to get along with, so he's really enjoyed this process. I, I know they went down to Halifax. They sold a, about 150 buck, books at a Mooseheads game one night. He, wow. he loved that. He likes getting around, telling stories, having a few cocktails, Ooh. as he likes to say. Um, when I looked at this book initially, I thought of uh, Daryl Sittler's book that came out, yep. uh, Captain, yep. it, it, and that was with Mike Leonetti, mm-hmm. who I believe passed, did he not? Um, regardless, Um that came out in 2016, and it's like this. It's a hybrid style of yep. stories, and then there's it's like a collector's item. Sure. So do you see um, kind of a trend going towards what Frameworth and you are doing here? Um, for players like Eddie and, and Daryl Sittler that played in that era where, yeah. you know, playing didn't mean you're set for life or right. something like this, can you, can you can make some money off a collector's item, really, I that's your do. biography. I think we would uh, like to do more of these. Of course, it's a, it's a business, so it depends what the final number comes in at. But I think this is very conducive to, um, yeah, it is kind of a collector's item. And Eddie signs a lot of them in the front, and his autograph looks great. And it's a different way. It is similar to the Settler book. Um, and what I liked about this book and the storytelling process, it's Eddie's version of the truth. <laughs> And then combined with Norma's version of the truth and my uh, documented version of the truth. So one of the things I love about this book is Eddie always talks about the third man in rule and how much he loved that rule because then he could pick on somebody else on the Montreal Canadiens and laugh at John Ferguson. But the third man in rule didn't come in until after John Ferguson completed playing. But it's Eddie's story. But yeah, I like. I, I think this is a concept that um, we liked uh, the three of us together, Brian, Eddie, and myself, and Richard, so the four of us. And I would love to do more of these going forward with 
preferably some old timers and guys who've been out of the game for a while because the old photos are just amazing. Like just the even the cover. Coming. Yeah, even the cover. I mean, you don't get pictures like that. It almost looks like the photographers on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned like you know moving moving like 150 copies of mm-hmm. a game in Halifax of a book about a man whose last NHL game was yeah. 44 years ago. Yeah. What what, it, what is the endur- why why the enduring appeal of uh, Eddie Shack as a as a hockey persona? It was almost like Eddie was the everyman who made the NHL. Now that wasn't the case at the start, and I didn't really know this, but Eddie was a big time prospect coming out of the OHA back in the day. But then um, he kind of fell into this routine of kind of making the most out of what he didn't have and making the most out of what he did have. I mean, he's illiterate. He could have made every excuse in the book. But he likes to have fun. He's loud. So over time, he developed this persona. And, of course, he developed it on the ice where he was the entertainer, right? By the time he's the mid-60s, he's the entertainer. So people watch that until for the next 10 years as he travels around the NHL. And then when he's done with the NHL, he becomes the pop shop guy. So he makes a connection with one generation as the entertainer. He makes another generation connection with the generation that includes me as the pop shop guy. And then it, you know, he'd pop up in ads for Journey's End Motel, popping out of a bed in 1990 and things <laughs> like that. And so then he became this, this person and persona to a, a certain generation. And I think this book is exposing him to maybe a 20, 30-year gap to a whole other generation. So the reason we sell 150 books at a Mooseheads game or he sells 100 at a Leafs game, he's done a couple of Leafs games where he sold 100, 120 just sitting there. And when you talk to Eddie, it's not quick, right? He takes his time with everybody. But he made a connection with people as more than just a hockey player, more than just goals, assists, and his final stat line. Uh, I think he's got a bit of the everyman in him. Uh, he worked since the time he was 13. I think a lot of people can relate to that. At Inco. At Inco, exactly. And he uh, used to fight people when he was trying to get his time card Yeah, punched, he'd right? just punch guys out of the way and go punch them <laughs> in himself. He needed to punch out. He had somewhere yeah, to he, be. He literally punched his way to the top of the punchline card. But I think Eddie's relatable, and Eddie makes people smile, and I think that's why people still line up 44 years after his last hockey game to, to get a glimpse of him. Yeah, so when, when Eddie retired, I was one. So, and now I write a book with him. That's wacky. Well, it's interesting. I was t- uh, talking in the intro with Nate about this, about how, uh, as a Leaf fan growing up in the mid-'80s, I'm just a few years younger than you, Ken. Mm-hmm. I, because of Harold Ballard, we didn't really have, and there was no hypermedia coverage, you know, no TSN or whatever. I didn't know or who... Or Sportsnet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know who, who Eddie Shack really was. I'd sure. heard about him. Some old-timers might... You might hear about him. My dad might have said something about him. I didn't know who he was. But and, you knew the name. Right. Yeah. And I think part of that might have been... You know, it was a combination, as I said, between the lack of hypermedia coverage and Harold Ballard kind of shunted a lot of right there wasn't a lot of guys to latch on to right and And you're right like uh keon was away for ted kennedy Sittler. like eddie actually liked harold ballard yes when i asked him in the book what do you think harold he i love the guy he's the only guy i know that will say that yeah so that's a good point so eddie was always around the gardens and the other thing he did too and i don't know if you guys ever saw it was he toured with the Montreal Old Pros when he was done playing. So throughout the 80s, he went to every nook and cranny in Canada. Mm. I remember him coming to the Hector Arena in Picto, <laughs> Nova Scotia, playing against my dad's team oh, in wow. 1985, and I got a puck signed by him. So That's in the book, is it That's not? in the book, yeah. So he made all these connections with people coast to coast. So again, he's relatable. People know him, and people people may not know him, but they know the name. So right. this, this book is kind of showing people like yourself, Neil, from your generation— right maybe 40 and under, mm-hmm. who know the name but don't know the man. So now they're getting to know the man and they're getting to, to see all these crazy stories. And I think at the end of the day, it's also kind of inspiring that a guy that was told he couldn't, couldn't, couldn't actually went and did it. Before my next question, uh, we like to give gifts out here. Um, so I'm going to give you uh, a gift uh, and I'm going to get you to explain what is in your hand and then I'll get into my question. So well, my microphone currently. I think I got a feeling I might know what this gift is. Yep, nicely done. (laughs) 
This is a six pack of Pop Shop. <laughs> well done, buddy. So, that's fantastic. That Way to go, Neil. I, I wish I could have got a Pop Shop case, but I'm yeah. forcing I to steal one of my beer cases. Yeah, but, that's the, okay. but the guy on the case, on the case of Moretti <laughs> beer, kind of looks like Eddie He got does a fedora look like Eddie Shack. He's got a fedora and a mustache. That's great. Well played, Nate. Well played. So, so, how does this Pop Shop relate to Eddie Shack? Well, Pop Shop relates to Eddie Shack because in the mid 70s, Eddie signed up with pop shop which was you make your own pop or you can buy it in the bottles like you see i used to buy it we used to go down to this old blue store across from the dairy bar and picked and buy our pop shop and eddie became a spokesperson for pop shop i'd say in the mid 70s uh he made 60 they started paying him sixty thousand bucks a year to do it which is far more than he made as a player i think the most he made as a player was fifty thousand. but as eddie would say it comes in all sorts of flavors cherry orange and lime i like the lime and i also like the cream soda what's this one cotton candy that is yeah we, awesome. I, I got all six flavors from the rexall oh my god root beer i love the root beer i love the cream soda was a good one back in the day bubble gum <laughs> that's amazing so eddie was the pop shop guy for canada he had his own pop shop suit a red blazer white shoes white pants <laughs> And he was the English Canada guy, and the pocket rocket, Henri Richard, was the Quebec guy. Mm. And Eddie is associated with Pop Shop to this day that now comes in, uh, they put hard liquor in it too, and it's sold in the liquor <laughs> oh, yeah, stores. That's, that's right. what I was thinking, you might have got me. <laughs> and like Eddie says, now you can get the kids hammered off it. But I, I'm joking. Wow. So, no, I'm not joking that he says that. Just don't get the kids hammered. Remember, off you, you're, this is this like your book is an R can be an R-rated podcast. No, the the, the books uh, we we there's some f-bombs in there because a few. I wanted the book to be like us sitting having a pop shop or something a little hard, uh, maybe more right. hard sitting right. across from Eddie, and that's how it reads. And we did remove quite a few f-bombs as well. Um, okay, I'm going to now give you... There's four. more? There's another gift. Oh God, this is like winning the lottery. Christmas and Festivus. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now, well, this, this might take you a second to open up, but I think okay, you... It's wrapped. It's, it's wrapped. It sent to you. Oh, God, you didn't. You did not. So, I don't oh my know. God, Neil. If, I if think you, I know what it is. You, you got me that? Oh, wow, buddy. <laughs> that is amazing. So, what is in your hand, Mr. Oh Ken Reed? Oh, my God. This is... Wow. That's it. You seriously got me this? We this got is, you this. Thanks, boys. Yeah. This is the 45 of Here Comes Shaq. <laughs> Where in the name of Moses did you find this? Better be eBay, eh? It, uh, yes, I found it from a dealer online, and this is the best part of the wow. story. I phoned him as soon as I ordered it, and I said, listen, can you get this to me as soon as possible? Yeah. Because I want this in either Eddie if he showed up or Ken's hand. Wow. And, and you know what he said to me? What? Eddie Shack, oh, you're gonna give it to him. He, I bought a Christmas tree off yeah. of Eddie Shack. That's what the guy told me from Mol. I think it's Molten. Yeah, it's on the box here. Uh, whichever, I'll, I'll say it. Molten. Everyone's pass, bought a Christmas tree off Eddie Shack. Yeah, pass that. It's Molten uh, That's amazing. The guys from Molten One of the guys bought a Christmas tree off Eddie Neil. Shack. Thanks, Neil. No problem. Well, well, that's the thing about this book is um, everybody has an Eddie Shack story, and we actually. Since we discovered that, we actually have fan letters in the book of people <laughs> writing in about their Eddie Shack stories, and some of them are bloody hilarious. I got to tell you. So, wow, guys, thanks. That's very kind. I'm going to get that signed by Eddie. All right. Well, that's I, great. I, I, so this is the question this leads into, and I don't mean look to take the, the, look at the gifts I get for coming down here. <laughs> I don't. Um, we, we have to bribe him to come on. He's no, all you the don't big have bu- to bribe um, me to come down. Um, so we got we got to. So wow. my question, and I'll shorten it up, really, and it's. I mean, we lighten the mood here, but it's kind of a, a serious question. That is, um, you know, a few years ago when I was reading about P.K. Subban, um, around the time he was being traded from Montreal, I think there was a story in ESPN that came out, and, and they talked about um, the the marketability of hockey players and how some players, yeah. did, they said they didn't even want to, to get an endorsement because they thought it would, you know, either they, their, their teammates would look down on them or take away from the team. And what I thought about when I read that, and, and really the overarching theme was, well, hockey's always been that way. But yeah. if you look at Eddie Shack, it hasn't always been that way. He played in the what people call the golden era, and he was a salesman yep. and a showman. So how much of this is, is Eddie being an outlier? Or, it, it, I mean, and how much flack did Eddie have to take because mm-hmm. of the way he was? Or... 
Is it a new thing that we are saying that hockey is is this conservative thing? Uh, no, Eddie took flack. He mm. was like, the boys are kind of like, oh, that's Eddie. You know, they, he got right. a lot of that. Right. Uh, but Eddie did the best thing about Eddie. Doesn't care. He's right. himself. Don't. His father used to say to him, "Don't behave yourself. Be yourself." And that's Eddie. And Eddie again. This is a guy who had to hustle. Couldn't read or write. Right. So he's done a school in grade four. He becomes a butcher. So then mm-hmm. he's a hockey player. Well, guess what? You can only make so much as a hockey player in the 60s, so he sells cars on the side. So he was selling cars, flipping cars all throughout his NHL career. He gets traded to Boston. The first thing his wife, Norma, says to him, don't buy a house. Within four hours, I bought a house, Norma. <laughs> so, And he flips real estate, flips real estate. So people can laugh or all they want, but the man made money, and he used what he had to make his coin. And, yeah, he was an outlier then. Um, the closest thing the game has to Eddie Shack now would be a P.K. Subban, a Paul Bissonette, who retired, mm, right. uh, is like Eddie. Yes. And I actually had that conversation with Biz, how much they remind me of each other. Of course, I said Eddie scored a hell of a lot more goals. <laughs> but I think we're going to see more and more of this from the NHL because uh, I would call it the, the, the revolution that's going on with the coaches now. In the NBA, the players have control, mm. right? Like LeBron, they... He tells his coach what he's going to do. Right. In the NHL, the coaches have always had control. And Cathal Kelly made this great point in the Globe and Mail. Now it's maybe it's starting to turn where the players are realizing, well, I'm more valuable to the game than my coach. So maybe it'll turn. It's not going to turn instantly. But, yeah, Eddie was an outlier. But then along comes a guy like Tim Hortons who starts a donut shop up. Derek Sanderson. Derek Sanderson had stuff. Bobby Hall would endorse stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of guys endorse things. But I think it's the way Eddie loudly endorsed things that made him different, right? You look at a lot of old hockey ads, and it's like, hey, I'm right. so-and-so, and I use whatever right. razors. <laughs> Eddie comes jumping out of hotel room beds. He wears a red suit. Right. Um, <laughs> never ashamed to do anything, never ashamed to make a buck, and I, I admire Eddie for that. His dad was somewhat of a salesman, too, right? Did they not sell beer? He was beer? a bootlegger. Uh, be- yeah, he was a bootlegger. Yeah. He sold beer in, in the house. So in the maybe house. that's where he got it. And he was the son of, what were they, Ukrainian immigrants? Ukrainian. Immigrants. Uh, and, yeah, Eddie's dad was a bootlegger in the house. So Eddie run down to the basement, grabbed the beer for his dad. And his father was illiterate as well. Okay. So I think he, he learned a lot from his father, Do for, for sure. self. Yeah. Um, how did Eddie's mouth prevent him, perhaps, from winning a fifth and sixth Stanley Cup uh, in dealing with the owner, I think it was Jeremy Jacobs, oh, stories yeah. in the book. Yeah. So Eddie says what he wants to say, and Eddie is unfiltered. Um, so it's at some party at the Boston Bruins are having, and the owner shows up. And Eddie looks at him and says, that's one of the dumbest effing hats I've ever seen in my life. And this old money owner kind of shakes his head and goes to Milt Schmidt, who's the GM, get that guy out of here. So Milt Schmidt wanted to keep him. And Eddie gets traded to L.A. right away. And there's two versions of the story in the book, one from Norma, one from Eddie. Again, because Eddie's truth is different from Norma's truth, so who knows? I The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But Eddie's mouth got him absolutely traded out of Boston because he really enjoyed playing with Bobby Orr, loved playing with Phil Esposito, had success as a Bruin. Remember, Eddie get, that get, is one of only three players in league history to score 20 or more goals for five teams. And he shipped out of Boston... Uh, pretty much exiled, I guess, to, to Los Angeles because they were not a powerhouse back then. So, yeah, it definitely prevented him from winning those Cups in 70 and 72 with the Bruins. Yeah, that would, I guess was 1969-ish. By the way, I pulled up uh, Eddie Shack his last year of junior hockey. Yeah. 56-57. Yeah. Uh, with the Guelph Biltmores. Mm-hmm. They were sponsored by the hat company. He, That's already he, got his hat at. Yeah, yeah. He, would, he and his teammate Bill Sweeney were 1-2 in the league in scoring with 106 and 104 points. Mm-hmm. Third leading scorer, oh, you got to go all the way down to 88 points, some guy named Frank, Frank Mahovlich. Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> Isn't that, so that's how built that's how, up Eddie was as a prospect. And he goes to the Rangers and he hates his coach because the coach tried to make them all. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar to you guys. <laughs> you need to work on your defense. The coach has been doing that since the fifth. They've probably been doing that since the 1920s. Take a good young scorer and ruin him. So by the time Eddie got traded to, when Eddie got traded to Toronto in, I want to say, 62, he was regarded by the New York media as a bust. So he had to figure something out. And in Toronto, he definitely figured something out because three, four years later, this <laughs> this record comes out, and he's a, he's a cult hero by that time. I wonder if he ever scored a hat trick against a coach. The old the coach, coach who said he couldn't play. Oh, geez. I, I, thinking of Anthony DeClaire here. Yeah. Well, yeah. No kidding. Um, I don't know if he did score a hat trick against the Rangers, but 
yeah, I know he didn't like Phil Watson. Put it that way. Now, when we were had the sessions with Eddie, uh, what was what was the interaction like with Norma Shack? Uh, yeah, correct. You were saying she was, you know, filling in like Eddie. Come on, like. it was hilarious. <laughs> so, first few sessions, it's just with Eddie. We're waiting at Frameworth, and then we meet at Eddie's house. And Eddie keeps saying, "You have to meet Norma. You have to meet Norma. You have to meet my wife, Norma." So I go over to their house, and it is an immaculately beautiful house in Toronto. In Toronto, area. it's spotless. The garage is Eddie's domain, so he's got his hockey pitchers up there, his golf pitchers up there. The house is Norma's domain. So up we go, and we're sitting in the kitchen, and Norma comes out, and she starts telling me stories, and Eddie would chime in, chime in, chime in. So we probably talk for two or three hours, so then I ask Eddie a few more stories, and he starts going. And then Norma would say, no, 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 Eddie. That's not that how, how that happened. <laughs> so I wanted to know how they, they met. So Eddie comes up with this big story of, you know, she couldn't right. resist me. No, 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 no. So that was awesome to have the, the two of them in the room going back and forth. So we met with Norma a few more times. Um, one of Eddie's good friends would come by, and he'd give his version of what happened. So it was it was like... How awesome is it for Eddie, Sha- Eddie and Norma Shack to invite me into their house, right? I'm just <laughs> chilling out with them. So it, it was really cool. Is that how, um, in terms of the production, when we talk about this book being a production, is that how the post-it note concept yes. came up? Like, how did that come up? So, where, Because where, you can sense when you're reading the stories, it's yeah. Norma kind of going, no, 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 Eddie, yeah. and like laughingly rolling her eyes through so, the post-it note. So uh, in one of Don Cherry's books, um, they had notes from the author that would kind of set the stage right right so that's what i wanted to do so instead of me writing the book um just as i eddie shack i wanted to set the stage and then have eddie chimed in so i made these things i think they're called ken says or ken yes, notes yes and norma has them as well yeah so I'd put them in for in norma. On a so when i wrote the book on a word document it would just say in bold lettering ken's oh, okay. note right and then it would have it and then eddie so Richard McCorkle, the designer, yes, and it comes is, up with yeah. this idea to actually put it on a sticky note in the background. I'm right. like, this looks freaking awesome. Yeah. So again, all I did was submit a Word document, and then this magic comes out of that. So yeah. full credit to Richard. Duh. The different color schemes. There's Enormous says right there. With yes. it. it looks like it's on a post-it note, which Hang I just it. love. Yeah, it's, that, it's, it's that's, really yeah, cool. That's amazing. Yeah, so and, that's um, how that came about. And sorry to cut you off the... Um, there, there's some heavy hitters in here that have stories yeah. uh, about him, like like Wayne Gretzky and uh, and Bobby Orr as well. I mean, I'm sure those guys get asked to do a lot of things all the time. How did you manage to get them to contribute? That is all Brian Aaronworth, the uh, mm. publisher. Brian knows Wayne. Brian was Wayne's autograph guy for years. They've okay. known each other for 20, 25, 30 years. So, right. uh, so Eddie kept saying, why don't you talk to this guy for the book and talk to this guy for the book? Right. So I said, okay, I got a few numbers. And Brian says, well, we should get Gretzky because Wayne, Wayne is like um, a hawk. Like, a lot of great players don't know everything about the game. Right. Yeah. Wayne knows everything about Absolutely. the game. Yeah, there so, was a great story you had. And I forget uh, now what it was, but I remember reading it and going, wow, there's a lot of like yeah. real detail so, here. So it's funny, the, the new ad that's out for Tim Hortons, when he yes, talks about he, meeting Tim Horton, Eddie Shack was actually there too. Because right. he, he talks about that in oh, the book. Yes. And he talks about seeing Eddie play senior hockey. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of, uh, again, a different way to do it, I just mm-hmm. take sections of the book and in Wayne's words, mm-hmm. he does it. Bobby Hall's words, he does it. Um, right. George Armstrong, who doesn't yes. do interviews with anybody, That's he does it. Ask. That goes to Eddie. So these guys aren't calling me because yeah. I'm me. They're yeah. calling me because I'm writing the book with Eddie and Brian. Right. But I, I'll never forget when Wayne called. I'm driving to work. I'm on Eastern Avenue and the phone <laughs> rings. It's Wayne, Gr- I see Wayne, it's Wayne Gretzky and pull over and we talk for like... This is Wayne. This is typical Wayne Gretzky. I needed five minutes. We talked for fifty. Like That's he's great. just, he's just awesome. He's just a hockey man. Like he just knows the game so well, and it's uh, just that. Like I mean, what a thrill to write a book, not only with Eddie Shack, but to talk to Wayne Gretzky for it. Bobby Hull, um, Jack Valakat, George Armstrong, Bernie Perron. It's just, just amazing. George, George Armstrong, particularly for those listening, he doesn't do any interviews at all. No, uh, so that yeah, I remember noticing that, and I was going to ask you. I'm glad you brought it and up. And as Eddie will say, and he doesn't sign autographs either, but he does for me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's people that I mean, people say this stuff all the time. Some people say, "Oh, that guy was born too late," yeah. or they'll say, "This guy is ahead of their time." 
But if you look and see how Eddie progressed through time, starting with the military-style brush cut and retiring, <laughs> going through the 60s and mirroring, you know, like a lot of people that played as long as he did during that time from the 50s to 70s, he's mirror, mirroring the change that's going on in the world. Yeah, he is. So I'm thinking... Eddie almost, he wasn't born too late. He wasn't ahead of his time. He was He's perfect for his time. He, that's well said, Neil. He was absolutely perfect for his time, and he mirrors the game, right? Because the in the 60s, <laughs> even when the Leafs win in 67, it's the brush cut yeah. era. And then the 70s come, and I, I give credit to the WHA for kind of functifying the world of hockey. <laughs> they come out with the bright colored uniforms and different looks, and hey, if your hair is long and scraggly, so be it. And that's that's right Hockey went right along with him. So Eddie goes from brush cut on the front to the giant mustache and long hair that we know now. Um, yeah, he was a he came along at the perfect time. And when you think about it, his personality developed with, along with the game because he was always a funny guy, but as Norma says when she met him, he was rather quiet. Right. But the volume gets turned up, <laughs> just like the volume got turned up from the 60s to 70s in right. terms of style, fashion, right. even music. We go from, you know, sure. folksy stuff to heavy, hard stuff. Right. And it's, it's also the 70s, as we talked about off the top. 70s was known as the me decade, so the perfect time That would explain him. why it's my favorite decade. <laughs> but uh, I think I'll, 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 uh, I'll let Nate take this one here. Yeah, now something uh, Eddie's generation of players had to do was they had to fight to get their proper pension benefits. Yeah. What was the... What, tell, for people who don't know that era, what, what, yeah. what was he, he and uh, Norma Shack's role in, right. in leading that fight, I guess, in the early 90s? Early 90s. So, again, when people think of Eddie Shack, they just think of the entertainer, guy doing twirls after he gets the first star, a guy yelling on TV, a guy hawking pop shop. But what they don't know is that in the early 90s, seven players rallied to try to get their pension money from the NHL. They realized they weren't getting what they we're supposed to be getting that's putting it in layman's terms so eddie and norma were some of the originals they were part of that group part of the seven along with uh, carl brewer was a big name in it at that time that got together got a lawyer started doing some studying realized they weren't getting uh, the money they were properly owed eddie had a golf course in town it was out by canada's wonderland in toronto so they started holding charity events there and if they would have lost uh, this lawsuit, they, they were putting their own money up for the lawyers. So long story short, within about two years, uh, they come up and they get millions of dollars from the NHL. And it's split all the way down from various players, from Gordie Howe right down to a guy like Jack Falicat, who talked about it in the book. And guys got what they were owed. And uh, Eddie played a huge role in that. Norma played a massive role in that. And again, that's something that you'd never think of when you think of Eddie Shack. Um, there's players that, you know, literally could buy a house because they got that money or put a down payment on a house or, you know, could get out of debt because they got that money. That they were owed that they didn't get until those seven former players and someone like Norma got together and did a little did a little studying on it and figured out what was owed. I could be extrapolating a little bit, but there's a part of the book where he talks about, or, he write, or you write about uh, through probably an interview that he gave you about he's in the alumni box and he gets in <laughs> trouble. Um, so what I started thinking about was, you know, being on press row at Leaf Games. I don't remember, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember Eddie being the guy that hands the jersey to the fan. Like, what is his relationship with Leafs alumni now? Is he it's right fine. in there or is he no he's i mean he's older right so the guys who play the games are in their 50s and 60s eddie's 82 right but he'll go to a game every once in a while and he's got his alumni jacket he wears that proudly uh i he uh he did a couple signings down at the down at the scotia bank arena this year okay you'll see him in the alumni box but he does he well he was kicked out of the alumni box <laughs> once but it involved uh, rodney's oyster house uh oysters and as eddie would say a few cocktails <laughs> but again you'd have to you, i got it you got to read the book to get that one because it's a pretty good story and eddie of course uses his own very uh to the point language to tell tell the person in the box that has a problem with them what he thinks of them Speaking to in terms of to the point language, the press tour which you've done already um, with you know some pretty big outlets, um, I uh, I was wondering how like a podcast, the podcast world has allowed Eddie to be Eddie in the sense of you can 
you know, it's not, it's no longer you're just stuck doing a print story and mm-hmm. breakfast television. You can go on spitting chicklets and yeah. drop all the f bombs you want. Has that yeah. allowed Eddie's voice to you, come out? You know, it's funny in a new way. We told him, on, on, we told Eddie the rules, like when you do TV, and he knows that mm-hmm. he's a pro, he's mm-hmm. an absolute pro. And when you do podcasts, we said you can be a little more liberal with your language. Right. When Eddie's in front of a microphone in a radio station, a TV station, or a podcast, keeps her pretty clean. However. You get him in front of a live room, oh. that's when it really starts. So we said, when you go and spit chicklets, Eddie, if you want to let loose, let loose. And he let loose, but not verbally. Right. But we did another event where we're just in a room with some people that are, are paid to be there or, or, or attend to be there and others that are just kind of hangers on. And Eddie's, Eddie's letting her fly. And you can see a few people go, whoa, what's going on? What did I just hear there? So, yeah, if you put him in front of a recording device, he's pretty good. But in front of a live audience, Eddie will let, let her rip. Now, in terms of uh, being a sentimental guy, I imagine, well, I, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but what, what was he, he like when he sort of was talking about, I think he said Johnny Bauer was his best teammate. And he, yeah. and he talked a lot about how Red Kelly yeah. never got a proper appreciation. I bring yeah. this up because they're, they're, they're teammates, Leafs from that era, who've mm-hmm. both you know left this mortal coil recently. He, he talks like of Johnny Bauer and Red Kelly like they're almost religious figures. And Red passed during this, and that was tough. That was a tough day. I I was with Eddie on that day. That was a tough day. Um, Jack Valiquette makes another great point. He's like, Eddie is this crass, to-the-point guy, but his best friends were (laughs) Johnny Bauer and Red Kelly. Yeah. Two guys who never swore, never missed church, never said a bad word. So I think Eddie was drawn to them for this image of the perfect gentleman, and maybe they were drawn to Eddie because, oh, my God, look what he gets away with. So, but yeah, it's, he, he makes a point in the book and he still makes it. When people ask him who's the best player ever, Eddie says Red Kelly. Doesn't say Bobby Orr, who he played with, doesn't say Wayne. He says Red Kelly and he makes a great point. He goes, Red won four cups with the Wings, traded to the Leafs. The Wings didn't win another cup till the 90s. And then the Leafs win four with Red. Um, he could, and Red could play it anyway, right? Right. Defense, Defense forward. forward. And, uh, I mean, Red. Red was when Eddie was with the Leafs. Red was also a sitting MP. Like, right. think how crazy. Yeah. That is. <laughs> so he holds uh, Red and Johnny in the highest possible regard. So, a couple of last questions here. Nate might have a, a few too. Uh, I have a couple I've just thought of right now. So first of all, um, legacy. Yeah. Um, uh, Eddie talks about wanting to be in the Hall, or, or or at least having the credentials to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, do you think, do you think it would ever be a possibility or is it, is it, is I don't it, think yeah. no, not at this point. No. Right. Um, Eddie, if Eddie was going to get in, it would probably be more as a builder. Right. Uh, player, his stats are, his stats are great, but they're not eye popping. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Eddie says, oh, they're just scared of what I'd say if I got up there. Right. <laughs> and he always says in the book, if I could read and write, yes, then I'd know what to say and I wouldn't go off the course. But it, since I can't read and write, I get up there and then I get going, I start swearing so they're scared of me, but yeah, he gives his thoughts on the hall, hall of fame in the book. Um, he makes a good argument. I mean, he's got an argument for being in there. Four cups, right. all with the Leafs, uh, lots 20, of goals, 20, yeah. you know. But but it's it's another thing that Eddie maybe right. has fun with. I'd say right, right. Um, and what is what is Eddie's day to day now? What what what's he up to? Uh, for now, promoting the book. No, oh, yeah, and course. he's loving it. He's yeah. loving it. We're having a blast, man. Like it's yeah. so much fun hanging out with him. Yeah, like it's just it's you're literally splitting at your sides. You're laughing so hard, but mostly uh, he's been he's I guess retired. Um, he hangs out at Frameworth a lot. Yes, and that's why Brian called me initially. He says Eddie's always here telling his stories. He hangs out at his garage, the Florida garage. Okay. He, yes, yes, he, and he know, goes to a deli, right? He goes to his deli, pincers, and, he, and he's got his <laughs> he's got his routines in his neighborhood that he does. Right. Uh, still golfs in the summer, hits as straight as an arrow, but the book has really rejuvenated him, and and it's given him a a new audience, a maybe. new audience, yeah. yeah, and it's given a new audience appreciation of what this player was like because we don't see guys like this anymore as much as we'd like to we don't see eddie shacks anymore speaking of golf uh, i i did i did find it really cool he mentioned mo norman in the book yes. mo norman for people that don't know lauren i think lauren rubenstein wrote a book about mm-hmm. mo norman and he is a truly 
fascinating character. Yeah. Eddie describes him uh, very in a very basic way, but interesting way in the book. So, so when, yeah, so Mo Norman is regarded as the greatest ball striker to ever right. live, Canadian golfer. He just couldn't putt. And yep. a lot of people have a theory on Mo that he didn't want to win because he didn't want to be under the spotlight right. at the end and having to do interviews because right. Mo was a different cat. So we're just sitting there one day talking about his golf course, and he's like, yeah, and Mo would come by. And I go, Mo Norman? You golf with Mo Norman? Because you know me, Neil. I'm a golf geek. Okay. And I couldn't believe it. So yeah. I just got Mo Norman stories in the book. Eddie almost killed a guy when he was playing with Lee Trevino. He hit him in the head with a <laughs> That's drive. Right. That's right. So Eddie's got a story about everybody, and everybody's got a story about Eddie. So that's what makes it so relatable. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to close out by asking, and Nate might have a question, but I'm going to I'm going to say or ask you, Lat. Now, now, it all makes sense now, Ken. Last okay. year when you came on, uh, we were talking about your next book, and you alluded to, I think it was one goal only, and yep. then you alluded to a mystery project that had come up, and I think put that on ice. Um, this would so be the mystery project. This is the mystery so project. I, so I was actually asked about this before Christmas last year. Okay, then. yeah. You yeah, had my dates mixed up. Right, yeah, yeah. Wow, and, so yeah, the mystery project is, we're going to call it One to Remember, and it's out fall 2020, okay. and it is the one goal only book. Okay. It's been off of one night only. So I, just like for one night only, one goal only, instead of talking to guys who played one game, I talked to 39 guys who scored one goal. Um, crazy stories. Jeez. One guy gets stabbed in the femoral artery a couple Ooh. of weeks after he scored his only goal oh and never really recovered from that. Like, just crazy and there's a hall of famer in the one goal only book too but you'll have to Ooh, guess who that good is trivia. Nate, one to Nate's remember. On it. i know do you know Nate? come on nate i feel like it. you i'm know. gonna say it's billy smith you're correct Whoa, it's billy smith. Nate, nicely done stuff. nicely um, done i was uh yeah and I, I guess aside from that i mean you you see it seems like i mean in our industry right now it seems like you got you have to have your hands in different pots yeah. right? do you feel almost or do you feel like this is a a, a shot in the arm that you have the writing to go along with the broadcasting? Yeah, I think so. It gives you a little bit of street cred, I guess. People think you know more than reading a teleprompter, hopefully. <laughs> um, I do like to tell stories. Um, it's something I really enjoy. It kind of just came up. Like I've, I'd always dreamed of writing a book, and when I got to do hockey card stories, luckily I was with Sportsnet that gave me a platform that somebody might want right. to hear my voice. I had a lot of time off during the I don't mean a lot right. of time off, but I don't work during the days. Right. But I enjoy it. Um, they always say the best two days of a book is when it's when it's uh, when you get your deal and when the book is printed because the rest isn't too fun. But I actually, I wouldn't say that. I actually enjoy the process. Um, I am probably going to take a bit of a break, but I'll probably get itchy pretty soon. Is there um, is there a book out there that you like that you haven't either started on or, or that's in the works that you want to, to do? Is there a biography or a, just a concept you want to do that you haven't I, yet? I really like this concept with mm. Eddie. Mm -hmm. um, it's not war and peace, right? We're not writing <laughs> Ulysses here. Right. See, I don't even know what the author's names are, but <laughs> Nate, I'm, a, Nate. I'm, I'm no genius, right? But I think like Eddie, I'm smart enough to know what I do know. Right. I like fun stories. Mm -hmm. I like having a laugh. I like sitting down and talking with a guy. And this book's very close to just sitting down and talking with a guy. Uh, there's no great uh, tragic swing in this book, right? right. Eddie's just had except, a pretty good time the whole way through. Except for the tragic swing where the guy got hit in the head with the golf ball. With the ball. golf ball, yeah, that's true. But um, I would like to do more books of this style. I like that it was quick. I like that it wasn't a right. project that I suffered pain through for four or five years. <laughs> Although there are a few, there are some of those, but um, no, I'm. If anybody's listening and they'd like me to write their autobiography, by all means. But uh, no, no, no great desire to write anything specific. Um, I had an idea pop into my head the other day, and I might do that. I called my a literary agent about it, which makes me sound like. A you want big to break deal. any news here on this, uh, Ken? Uh, I might break it when the mics go off, but. <laughs> It's one of those ones where it's like, geez, do I really want to do it? Because it's effort, and I don't mean to sound lazy. Right, I know what you mean. But man, when when every comma matters and every hyphen yes. matters, it's a lot. But that's luckily what I have editors for. But I do enjoy it, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's a the most painstaking process. Well, I don't like pain. I wouldn't do something <laughs> if it hurt me. So yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I enjoy it. Um, 
Nate, I think we should uh, take uh, uh, our last question from journalism school here, and that is, they always said, Nate, and I know you know this, yes. is there anything your guest would like to add that great we have not question. talked about? Marie Tessier, one of my old journalism professors, that's what she stressed was the greatest question, and yeah. it is. Anything else you like that? I love uh, what you guys are doing here with Thanks. this podcast. I think it's great. You don't ask the typical questions, which is great. You kind of delve into the writing part, which I really enjoy. Uh, I guess what I'd like to add is, when are you guys going to write a book together? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Ken Reed autobiography has not been made. That that's, hasn't been made because it's not in the slight <laughs> bit possibly profitable. <laughs> well, no you never know. The, 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 Do you have anything you guys spitball about, though? Seriously? Like, you know, not right? together, but no. uh, I know Nate Individually? has a couple. Uh, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the long-form world still trying to get some of those stories sold. I just finished a story on um, the 1989 Grey Cup. Okay, Which, um, that, that, that's the one the Rough Riders won? Uh, uh, yes, and Dave, I did a uh, profile on Dave Ridgway, but yeah. uh, as you know, it's hard to get published. So yeah, still working on that. So I'm, my answer to that is still working on the long form, and then once the long form catches hold, if it ever does, then maybe I can work on a book with my buddy Nate Sager. Nate, Nate you got anything? What's going on, buddy? People have been trying to get me to write a book forever. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't? Why won't you do it? Lack of confidence. I'll be. I'll start, uh, what did someone want me to do? Someone wanted me to write a book about the 2009 Queens Golden Gales football team. Yeah, because I was do it. emotionally involved in that. Yeah, do it. my fret, good friend uh, John Power the Third has never let me live down yelling. That's a terrible call. Right in uh, in the. Uh, in the press box in Quebec City <laughs> during the Vanier Cup, but I protested that it was a terrible call. Yeah. <laughs> so well, lack of confidence. I mean, before I wrote um, hockey card stories, I had never written anything. Like it was just I was just a TV guy. Like I never had, a, to my knowledge, a story in a newspaper published or or anything. Maybe I'm overconfident. <laughs> I don't know, but oh, ignorance is bliss, baby. Uh, to thank you for asking us some questions about us. This You're is the welcome. first time anyone's ever done that. You're welcome. Um, and you know what? There may be a book in your future, Nate, and who knows? Um, you can be on this side of the desk. That's true. Nate, I will interview you. you. And Ken will join me on this side. No. But uh, I, say, I do always joke the one book that I should write is the book about promoting the book with Eddie Shack. Because, <laughs> yeah. man, we got some stories. It's been a freaking blast. Is that over now, or is there more that you're doing? This is it, I think. Okay. I just got asked to do an interview with a station in Vancouver tomorrow. But okay. save you guys. and Because uh, you guys, I like where you guys go with this. I like And I like listening to it. And I don't know if you guys listen to... Uh, there's another good one about writing. Two writers slinging Yang. Jeff uh, Perlman does it. Oh no, I, Nate, you, you might. Yeah, have. I've, I've caught I've caught a few. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty good as well. We'll have to check that out. So yeah, it's good. Ken, I'm gonna let you uh, get on to whatever it is you need to get on to. But we're I'm, gonna I'm gonna go home and take the turkey soup off simmer. I'm making oh, turkey soup because wow, okay. we had turkey last night oh. at the old household. So I'm making my famous turkey soup tonight. That no one else in my house will eat because they say there's too many bones in it but that's the secret <laughs> before you go though uh well after we cut the mics we need to take a picture with you ken so thanks again sure, boys. uh the still the highest rated podcast ever uh as ken reed and uh he is now uh our uh, our guest our hat trick guest sweet the third time he's been on so we'll love to have you on next year thanks guys uh, for the next book thanks